This week on the Koshcast. Southampton have Leicester and Hasenhuttle both saying nine. De Bruyne memes himself by scoring from a cross. Granite Xhaka is cross. How long will Emery be boss? Is Lampard building something special? And can Spurs turn it around after losing against Liverpool in another test of the Reds' method? All this and much more. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Koshcast on underthekoshblog.com and at under underscore the Kosh on Twitter. My name is Alex. Mohanad is here. Hello. Bernie is here. Hi. Roche is here. Brap, 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 what up? <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is a full house. And I, for one, am delighted. How are you, Mohanad? It has been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. I missed the last podcast that... I did not enjoy that, but I did hear you guys uh, have a lot of fun. Pizzas, beers, jokes, and I, I, I felt left out, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Cool. Uh, can you tell us in a sentence or two what doing an MBA is like? It's like when you're drowning and then instead of someone pulling you out, they just like hand you like an anvil. <laughs> <laughs> Except, and it costs you a lot of money well if you're dead it doesn't matter <laughs> good point <laughs> Roche how are you I'm good man I'm a lot happier than Mahana that's for sure cool default status Bernie what's going on I'm in, uh, I'm in good spirits uh, also doing the MBA and uh, I think someone handed me a lifeline though unlike Mohanad mm, fair <laughs> enough uh, also, weekly check-in, how is little Paul? Uh, he is great. He's growing, he's eating, he's uh, laughing while United are playing, so we're making progress. Cool. You know, he, he's messaging us saying like he's going to take your spot. So. Eh. Mm. Is, he, is, is he going to, uh, to go to the Canadian national squad or the Nigerian national squad? Because that's going to be a big deal in like 17 years. Well, if Canada keeps going at the rate it's going, then uh, maybe I won't mind if he plays for Canada, but I'm, I am hoping for the Super Eagles, yes. You know what? I wasn't going to start there, but let's quickly chat about Canada beating the U.S. 2-0, because that was nice. Yeah, so I heard about the scoreline. I was pleased. Then I went about my normal life. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a great performance, I thought. Uh, the U.S. didn't stand a chance all game. Uh, couple, maybe a couple chances here and there, but utterly dominant display and Alfonso Davies wonderful player just brilliant brilliant performance yeah the U.S. just taking L's in every direction at this point it's lovely um all right well if that's all we've got on that we'll move on um someone else who took a massive L this weekend Southampton yeah Southampton got beat by Esther uh, hey <laughs> but that was I mean it's a bit skewed because of the early red card Bertrand I think um, he really birthed there and just there was three minutes in. Um, I didn't see the foul, but like, it doesn't matter at this point. You, you still can't concede nine, but um, I, Leicester were just going to play them off the park regardless. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those where Southampton almost have a lifeline by saying, yeah, we got a red card, but I think Leicester were just so, so much better. The, the difference in class there was obvious to see. And I think even, with 11 v 11, Leicester would have at least won 3 0. Um, very easy stroll in the park for Leicester. They were having so much fun, and you could just see it. They were enjoying themselves. Yeah, for sure. Bernie, do you think we, this is kind of a creeping topic, and it feels similar to the season that Leicester won the league, in that every week they're doing these things, and every week you're kind of like, can this continue? Um, obviously, as we've said, skewed because Bertrand got sending off. And wasn't it, wasn't it a case where, like, he didn't get sent off and then VAR called it back and they looked at it again and then he got sent off? Yeah, I think Ben Chilwell actually scored and then they went and reviewed the goal and in reviewing the goal, they found Bertrand's offense and then sent him off, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into a dis long discussion about uh, VAR or maybe we won't, I don't know. Um, but I thought that was a weird use of it. I thought, you remember that whole double jeopardy thing for last man tackles where you can't punish them twice? I thought, wouldn't that kind of come into play? But, you know, just as Mo said, at the end of the day, you should never get beaten 9-0. I don't even care if you have nine men on the pitch. It should not happen. Um, and a lot of discussions about Hassan Hutzel because apparently he kept telling the players, 
keep pressing them high, even with 10 men, and even when they were, say, even 4-0 down. So that's, that, that's a dereliction of duty on his part. He hasn't huddled at this point. I, like, they haven't sacked him, which is quite surprising. I don't know how long, how much longer he can he can keep doing this. I mean, they they have been bad before this, and then this just kind of tops it off. But you think he'll he'll last the you know month? Well, they play Man City next in the Capital One or the Carabao, and then they play Man City again in the league. So he probably will be gone by uh, the end of the week, surely. Mark Hughes in. I feel like Rache wants to predict that Man City versus Southampton scoreline. Well, I'm not interested so much in the scoreline, but I, I would insist in uh, loading up your fantasy teams with Man City players. <laughs> yeah, for the Carabao Cup. <laughs> oh, I thought, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> Roche is just in, in fantasy Premier League land all the now. Well, Roche is not I, wrong because they do play uh, each other on Saturday. So I, I'm definitely I getting uh, Raheem Sterling in my team for this weekend. There we go. See, look at those pearls of wisdom. But I, but I also want to add, uh, you know, if Hassan Hutel does get sacked pretty soon, I mean, you know, on the other hand, we have Arsenal fans calling for a new manager. So um, there's a chance that he can find himself in the Arsenal's hot seat pretty soon. Starting early, I see, Roche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm just, you know, throwing fuel into the fire here. Please feel free to disagree. I mean, obviously, it's more of a wish than, uh, you know, something that can actually happen. I mean, you wish for us to be improved? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, before we, before we go off too much, but yeah, I, I, Brendan Rodgers has done a great job with this Leicester team. And, you know, people were talking about how they are contenders for the top four. And at the beginning of the season, I was like, ah, that's, I don't know how I feel about that. But um, recently, you know, I've started to actually watch more of their games because they are very watchable Leicester. And, you know, when... When there's just neutral games on, I will gravitate towards the Leicester game more often than not because they are fun to watch. Um, they have, a, you know, they, they attack with pace, they defend well, they have really exciting players, and even the fullbacks are exciting to watch. So, um, you know, they it, it might not be off that top four thing, especially with Arsenal, United, even Spurs to an extent not being in the form um, that was expected. So. You know what? They might just do it here. They've won the Premier League once against all odds. And yes, as this, these odds won't be as high, but it's still against the odds if they come top four. And you know what? They might do it again. Can I just Mohanad- add to... Sorry, I was going to add to what Mohanad just said there. I didn't expect them to get into the top four at the end because of specifically Arsenal's transfer window. And you kind of thought whatever happened to Spurs was a blip and Parcino was a great manager. Chelsea and United, for me, eh, they could have been whatever. But with those two clubs doing the absolute, like, disgusting performances that we're seeing week in, week out, I mean, come on. If Leicester have to be a lock, except for the fact that they haven't really done it in the big games. But still, I would have them over Arsenal and Spurs at the current rate. At, at, at current form, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a long way to go, obviously. But, uh, Mohamed... We're not going to talk about Arsenal just yet, but I did notice that at some point over the weekend, presumably while you were watching the Leicester game, um, you tweeted that if Arsenal had bought Vardy that season, they'd have won the league. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Giroud really um, messed up that season for us. Um, if Vardy had come to Arsenal, you know, it's that season where I think Giroud, um, I'm not sure if it's the same one, but there's also, you know, Giroud going half the second half of a season without a goal and you know, in a title run and all that. I feel Vardy is just, you look at his numbers, man. He's up there with the, you know, the Agueros of this league when it comes to stats. And he's playing in a much worse team with less um, being provided to him. So, you know, he's, he's been phenomenal for the last three seasons or so. And I feel yeah, if a big team really, you know, they, they lost their Kante and their Mares, and obviously Vardy on the back of that got a big contract and decided to stay. But I just feel like if Vardy had gone to a bigger team, he he would have could have been the, the difference in, in in winning the league for one of those teams um, and and yeah I, I truly believe we could have won the league if we had Vardy instead of uh, Giroud that season. Arsenal fans, let us know if you agree. Um, yeah, it's funny Giroud. He's, he got like twenty goals a season, but it was just those long stretches where he didn't score. I know Roche loves him. Uh, which one, Giroud or Vardy? No, Giroud. I love both of them. Oh. <clears throat> But you'll gravitate towards uh, a better-looking 
gentleman. <laughs> I, I would normally uh, go for Giroud, yes. Uh, on one hand, he has more World Cups than Ronaldo, than Messi. Um, <laughs> and he's also just a phenomenal player and a beautiful human being. But on the other hand, you know, if you have a player like Jamie Vardy, he's obviously great for your fantasy team and his wife gives you good bands. <laughs> when she starts bats. arguing with Colleen on uh, you know Instagram, so so I mean it's uh, it's really hard to decide between the two right now. I have to say, anyone Fair. else have a choice? <laughs> well, Mahalid's made his. Uh, I will go with with uh, Giroud just because I can't I can't abide the Skittles and vodka diet. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll go Giroud only because of the scorpion kick. Um, the one that wasn't offside. Uh, other than that, there's no competition between the two. Um, oh, wow. But, but I, 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 find it, I find it hilarious to think that Jamie Vardy would have bridged the gap for a team that finished fifth um, the year after Leicester won the league uh, for them to go and win the league. Sure. Yeah, okay, buddy. <laughs> I knew you were going to take that seriously. All right, let's move on before that, <laughs> that becomes a thing. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about... The Saturday games, uh, Manchester City 3, Aston Villa 0. Um, apart from De Bruyne scoring with a cross, which uh, amused Mohamed very much, anyone got anything to say on this one? Uh, can I add to... So I don't have this ridiculous De Bruyne agenda, um, but that Mohamed... For me, if Mohamed turns away from the agenda, I'll actually be disappointed. I think we need it. It's the type of evil that we need in this world. Um, but uh, in Mohamed's defense... In this particular instance, De Bruyne did not know who he was crossing to. That is, that is 100%. And also, they later gave that goal to David Silva, which means the goal should never have stood because Raheem Sterling was in an offside position blocking the goalkeeper. So, again, another topic for what is VAR doing here? I don't understand. Because other than that, it was actually a very tough first half for Man City and Aston Villa were doing very, very well. In this what place. is it good for? Absolutely, Absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay. So my thing here is, why is Aguero not playing in the league again? Because he's playing in all the Champions League uh, games. So I'm not. So he's fit. You know, he's obviously. I, I think his Premier League is number one, right? So you can't say he's in favor if he plays in the Champions League and doesn't play in the Premier League. But like, you'd think City's main target would be the Champions League, seeing that they haven't won it. But like. I don't understand why he keeps rotating Aguero in the league. Like, is he too old to play um, twice a week? Is it? I just don't understand why he doesn't play. Like, it's not like Jesus. Like, it's not like Jesus's career is coming to an end and he needs games. Like, Jesus will get playing time. Just play Aguero while he's relatively at the top of his game right now. I don't understand why he's rested so much. I have a theory about this, which is that, um, you know, we saw at the start of the season, Aguero played all the league games until the Champions League kicked in. And now there was opportunity to rotate the two. Because when Jesus did play in, you know, cameos off the bench, he, I mean, he started maybe one or two games towards the start of the season. He was rubbish. And so City have had a relatively easy run of fixtures. And I think once the Champions League started, Pep saw an opportunity to get Jesus some games in which he might actually do something. And that he's kind of played him, playing him into form. And it seems to have worked to some extent. And Aguero, yeah, he probably can't play two games a week very effectively. And Jesus has been there a few years. Like, he's, yeah, he's a young player and he'll get games in the future probably. But to me, it's hard to imagine him as the club's first choice striker ever. Like, I think if Aguero goes, they're going to buy someone elite. Of course. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be the main man. No, never. And, and it, it's only working because he has an unbelievable team around him that you know, Gabriel Jesus is not a bad player, but he's, you're right. Like, that's how I like to think about it. Is like, are they going to rely on him when Aguero leaves and not buy a striker? That is absolutely not true. And, and you know, it's not going to happen. The interesting thing, though, as well, is to not forget that Fernandino got a red card at the end of this game. And that means that next game for City, um, even though they are only playing Southampton, I think, is going to be a John Stones and Otamendi center back pairing. So back, it's going to be fun. That was a really, really stupid red card, too. Yep. Like, the least necessary thing. I was quite surprised by Fernandinho. He's usually smarter than that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I disagree. I think Fernandinho was being incredibly intelligent. I mean, who, does he need to waste his time playing against Southampton? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I think he can take, the, take a break. <laughs> I don't think that's yeah. the game that we're going to see uh, Otamendi and Stones, as terrible as they are, exposed for any reason. That's and, a really uh, excellent point. 
There's also the point that Kyle Walker seems to have lost his place in the side to Joao Cancelo. Um, it's been good. games now. Um, and yeah, Cancelo looked good. Rache, please tell us about uh, Kyle Walker. Um, I always thought he was a bit of a fraud. Um, so it's nice to see that Cancelo is pushing him out the squad, showing us what a real wingback uh, looks like. And um, it's good for Kyle Walker because usually whatever he does, he's just doing it for the camera. Um, <laughs> and so now he doesn't have that opportunity to even be in front of the camera, which well, is good for everybody. <laughs> well, no lies. Hated. No lies detected here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fam- <laughs> famously, Champions League games are not televised. <laughs> I, I, also, I also want to say that Benjamin Mendy has been horrendous since back from injury. Since the end of last season, I think he's been back. Um, but he's been he's been actually quite below par compared to his teammates. He's every time I watch him play, he ha, he doesn't have he he's just not the same player that when they first signed him. He was literally the star of the team. If you remember the first few weeks of that first season, he signed. He was outshining the strikers, the midfielders. He was really their guy. And you know, Pep talked about him, and he always praised him individually. And he was. A, Almost their main attacking threat with those crosses on, on the left side. But since coming back from the injury, he's just not been the same player. It's very difficult to play after being racially abused by your own teammate. That's, I'm, I'm putting it down to that. <laughs> blame <Wow>. Bernardo. <laughs> Hashtag blame Bernardo. <laughs> also, also Bern- I mean, it's weird. We're talking about all these negative things about City after a 3 no win. But, you know, you don't have a chance to do that quite a bit. Um, Bernardo Silva has been having a very bad season as well. I mean, all these players that have been having bad seasons and City are still, like, winning all these games. Like, it doesn't make sense, but maybe that's why they are slipping more than more than we expected. I mean, what, two losses already, if I'm not mistaken? For Bernardo Silva, it's very difficult to play well after abusing your teammate racially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, this is one of those cycles you can't get out of. Anyways, Aston Villa are probably going to go down with Southampton, so nothing interesting happening there. Well, hopefully at that point, a, a, a proper football team buys Jack Grealish. Because he's a lovely player. Well, I don't think he wants to leave. He doesn't want to leave Aston Villa. He's one of those guys who goes out to the pub and drinking with the fans after the game. He was raised by the club. And, you know, it's, it's a shame, really. I mean, I wish he was smarter. I mean, if he leaves, he has to go to a, a club that lets him wear proper football boots and not the ones that are ripped, at, ripped in half. So, I, I, I mean, asking a Neanderthal to grow up is a bit difficult. So, yeah, he should stay where he is. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I know. What the hell is wrong with these English players? <laughs> <laughs> this, this has taken a turn. All Alex said was like, Grealish is a, a good player. Neanderthal, <laughs> what is wrong with him? <laughs> Okay, and we complain that loyalty is dead, eh? Um, All right, I'm going to attempt to make another positive point, and we'll see if it gets you know shit all over. Uh, Brighton beat Everton. Now, admittedly, Marco Silva is a massive, massive fraud, and Everton are horrendous. But Brighton and Hove Albion have been absolute trash for years, like just about surviving. And Graham Potter has come in. And they're actually playing football. They're scoring goals. They're mid-table now. They've got, what, uh, 12 points? This is a whole new team. I, like I know enough. They're 14. They have 12 points. Yeah, I can't pretend like I know enough to comment on what you just said. But I can't talk about Everton. Basically, the, any team that plays it will be and Walcott on the wings deserves to lose to Brighton. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Is that like somehow somehow someone looked at what they did at Arsenal and thought I want to replicate that on my team? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what you get when your owner tried to become the owner of Arsenal and couldn't do it. Yeah, but it should be the other way around. The owner of the ex, the person who tried to be owner of Arsenal should know very well how bad these people are and not be tricked into it. You know what I mean? Like you can look at it that way. <laughs> yeah, Bernie, uh, Everton thoughts? Uh. <laughs> I mean, I mean, guys, Marco Silva. <laughs> he's he's an unbelievable fraud, and I'm just every like I've never, I've never been so happy that a manager has been shown to be a fraud because it's just it, it's, it's a long time coming. But then again, Moshiri is an interesting case because as Mohamed said, anyone trying to replicate that particular Arsenal forward line is is incredibly dumb, and I think. Hindsight's twenty twenty because I think when he left, a lot of Arsenal fans were like, oh, no, if only he had more control and could spend more money. No, I think, 
I, maybe Kronky is not the worst person in the world on this evidence. It's actually a reasonable point. I, I will just give thanks to Everton for providing what I think will be the funniest moment of the league all season. And I've said it before, but Theo Walcott getting hit in the face with the ball and having to be substituted was the best. Yeah. Sure. You, sir, are an evil human being. Granted. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, another positive story. Chelsea 4, Burnley 2. I, I'm not... I mean, USA, USA, and all that. They got that, and they also got uh, the Ajax fullback, Serginio Dest, declaring that he's going to play for the US. So it's, it's been an amazing weekend for Americans, um, you know, after being beaten by Canada. So good for them. <laughs> Uh, but Chelsea are building something here, and it's really quite impressive, uh, Mohamed. Yeah, it's it's really depressing to see scoring four goals. Like, I know the two goals at the end there take the shine away, the two Burnley goals in the 86th minute and whatever, but that really has no bearing to me on, on the scoreline. Like scoring four away to Burnley for a team that I thought were going to struggle this season, really depressing. Like they are doing way better than I expected them to do. Lampard's doing, and when you look at um, Pulisic. You have to say that this was kind of in the making. Um, they, he didn't have a good start to the season. Lampard pulled him out of the firing lineup. And, you know, we forget how young he is because, you know, how expensive he was. But they, the U.S. Um, allowed Chelsea to hold on to Pulisic, one of the international breaks, so he can kind of work a little bit with the team and all that. So this has all been gradual. And then I think it's bearing fruit now slowly. Um, he had a good game. Yeah, a few of the finishes, you know, were slightly scuffed or whatever. But he was in the right place at the right time, doing the right things. And you know what? I think, uh, you know, him and William coming back into form and possibly Hudson Adoy, they're looking, they're looking quite good, man. Like I don't know where this has come from. I honestly did not predict that they would be doing this well. Yeah, you know, to be honest, exactly what I said about Chelsea last week can be applied once again this week. Nothing has changed. Everything is great. Chelsea for president. Um, you know, I agree with Mohamed. Pulisic did a really good job um, staying mentally strong. I mean, like you said, Alex, he was actually pretty woeful against Canada and everything was going wrong for him, both club and country. Um, so, you know, keeping his head down, uh, <laughs> wonderful, but it's also wonderful man management by Frank Lampard. He, um, I think Frank Lampard is hand handling that Chelsea situation very well. Um, he has a very, very good team. And I think a lot of people didn't sit back to realize that, I mean, defenders aside, um, he's got a very, very good team midfield to attack. Um, so it's easier when you have a good team, but he's done a very, very good job um, handling that. And the only thing I would say again is defensively, they're still pretty terrible. For Burnley to score two goals <laughs> when you're 4-0 up, that's unacceptable. And it was terrible defending once well, again. Let's see how far happens. that can take them. That's what happens when you have that kind of quality in goal. Um, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. So. Uh, Jay Rodriguez, absolute belter, though. But just on, on, the Lampard, on Lampard's management, and it's easy to look at everything he's done now from the, the prism of their, their recent great results. But when you talk about the management of Pulisic, um, and, and immediately I'm also thinking about Willian. Like at the start of the season, Pulisic was in the team, and he dropped Willian. He was like, I'm not sure about you. And after a few weeks, he switched him out. And, like, you know, maybe that, that gave Willian the motivation because he's come back and he's looking good and he's scoring goals. And he's been entirely unconvincing in, in recent seasons. So he's getting a tune out of him. Now he's getting a tune out of Pulisic. He's got Callum Hudson-Odoi that he's kind of rotating in and out. And, and they just look fantastic. And they're really, they're really an exciting team to watch. And we haven't been able to say that about Chelsea for a long time. All right, uh, another London team where things are not going quite as well, uh, which is one, one way to put it. Arsenal 2, Crystal Palace 2. Well, I suppose two London teams where things aren't going quite as well. Um, this all looked quite funny, quite rosy early on. Uh, Socrates, absolute lunatic, Pastapopoulos uh, scoring. And then David, absolute clown, Louise, also scoring with a wild swing of his right boot uh, and nearly missing from a couple yards out. 2-0 to Arsenal, everything's rosy in the garden, the flowers are blooming, the Emirates is, you know, enjoying their Edamame beans, and, uh, and then it all falls to shit. Um, Mohaned, take it away. Alex, I know you're a savvy 
savvy fan and football follower, you you know it was not all rosy. <laughs> <laughs> like at two nil, no Arsenal fan, true Arsenal fan, sat there and thought, "Ah, oh, boy, we wrapped this up. We're about to beat Leicester's record." Nobody. Everybody knew. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knew that the next goal was Crystal Palace. Everybody, and you know, our two goals from set pieces, which is something that Arsenal is not well known for, were just this lifeline because we're horrendous from open play. And you know, what happened happened, and you know, City just uh, Palace, sorry, Palace just wanted it more. They wanted it more from that point onwards, and especially in the second half. And Arsenal kept they do what they always do: go ahead. Well, <laughs> we don't even do that as much anymore, but go ahead and then retreat and lose control of the game. At 2-0, there were the game was back and forth, long balls, hoofing. We're trying to, you know, we're set up for counter-attacking football at home versus Crystal Palace. It was really, really hard to watch. And I just remember watching this game with my brother and not being able to not multitask. You know what I mean? Like, the game was on, but there was no way I was just looking at the game because it was unbelievably boring something else you were fidgeting anything else was happening because nothing was going on on the screen except hoof balls that just kept headered back and back and forth back and forth and at the end of the day there was just so much wrong with this team and the way Emery sets us up and the mentality we go into games and our possession and our number of passes and you know everything is just we're so far apart on the field our strikers are so far away from our midfielders or are so far away from our defenders and it allows the opposition players to just play. And, and that's what happened. Crystal Palace deserved the two goals, and if, you know, if not more. So, over, I mean, we'll get to the Shaka thing, but just on this game, it was boring. It was slow. It was lethargic. It, it just it was not good enough. Well, what I also enjoy is that a lot of people have said, well, when Tierney and Bellerin get back, we'll <laughs> see a different team. And, you know, I have certainly thought that that will help having two young you know, fast fullbacks. Um, but Tierney, Tierney entered the game here, started his first league game, I think. Um, and, you know, yeah, he's noticeably better than Kalasinac. It didn't make any difference, though, overall. We, we have a lot of players that people want to play that I don't think will make a difference in an Emory system. So, you know, uh, you know how, what I feel about Ozil and... The problem is it's almost better that he's not playing because when you look at the number of touches and the number of passes and the possession that the number 10, or you know, if he plays one in an Arsenal team, gets under Emery, it's just set up to fail. So, you know, someone with the quality of Ozil, I don't think coming back will actually change anything for, in this Emery side. In the quality of Bellerin and Tierney, I just don't think it's enough to actually change the way Emery sets that up and the mentality that we play. And I really don't think it's a player issue right now. It's just down to the manager. It's all down to the manager at this point. And, you know, under Arsene Wenger, there were spells where it was all the players. Arsene Wenger was a good manager, but we weren't spending on our players were, you know, Shamak and Nielsen and Ebue and blah, blah, blah. Now we actually have a respectable, <clears throat> at least starting eleven. It just we don't have the manager. It's it we we just never seem to have all the pieces in place. Arsenal always have something missing, and right now it's a manager. I have to really quickly jump in over there because I feel like, on one hand, yeah, Mohamed saying like you know we have we never have exactly what we need. But the truth is, like for all winning teams that you've seen, there's they've never been a perfect team. There's always been. I mean, they're always human in some ways, unless you're talking about Barcelona under Pep. But you know, then again, that's a once in a generation team. Like, if we've looked at great Arsenal teams over the years, like, how many times have you actually said this team is invincible? There's always, there's always, some, there's always some human element of this team. There was one team that was invincible. No, but... <laughs> that's a good point. But if I, if, oh, I go through, yes, yes. If, if I go through, you know, if we put out the starting 11 when everyone's fit, it is one of the better starting 11s in the last decade. By far. By far. What we have right now. And, you know... You've got Leno, Tierney, Bellerin, Holding. Yeah, one of the centre-back spots is weak. You've got Torreira. Um, Both are weak. Ozil, Pepe, Lacazette, Aubameyang. These are good names. These are names that any manager looks forward to working with and producing with. And whatever you think about them, you definitely agree that they can perform better than they are performing now. And that's the job of the manager, to bring that out of them and set them up in a way to succeed. 
it's also not about being perfect. It's about yeah. making progress. And Arsenal, <laughs> if anything, have gone backwards since Arsene Wenger left. And that is, that is something that was you know, almost impossible for us to imagine. You know, towards the end of the Wenger era, things felt very dark, very unsettled. The football was terrible. Um, and then now when you compare uh, Arsene Wenger's last, you know, whatever it is games to Emery's first, whatever it is games, like Arsenal are actually worse. And the football isn't any better. Arguably, it's worse. The defense isn't any better. Like, nothing is actually better. And so, th- there really is no better summation of, of Emery and his, his spell at Arsenal than that. I think that's where the problem is. I think it's that nothing is drastically better. I mean, you, you can talk about having Lacazette. You can talk about having Aubameyang all you want. But it's it's kind of reminds me of when you had Van Persie and Adebayor, and by the way, those were sensational players. Samir Nasri as well, sensational players. But if the manager doesn't know what he's doing, which Wenger did not know what he was doing even at that, at those points, um, then there's nothing that they're going to do. But at the same time, Arsenal's midfield is a black hole. It's it's unbelievable how people just pass through you now. <laughs> it's why I said last time on the pod, it doesn't really matter if Ozil's there or not. Ozil will, is infinitely better than what is there on show currently, but it's designed to be a black hole where Torreira is supposed to be this, you know, dogged animal of a player. Honestly, looks completely bereft of, of, of confidence. Guendouzi is the only thing useful. And Granit Xhaka is a total and utter disgrace. And then you have David Luiz being the, the driver of the clown car. I mean, yes, if Tierney and Bellerin come in, maybe it'll be better. You don't really know what shape Bellerin's in. Tierney is supposed to be great, but he's obviously injured all the time anyway. So there is, even the ones that are supposed to be coming in and doing well, you have no idea what you're going to get from them. It's, it's a complete disgrace. And in a space of, what, two months, you've gone from praising Raul Sanlehi to just him being the biggest fool in the world next to Unai Emery. It's unbelievable. I think, uh, I mean, like, to Luna's credit, on one hand, you've bought in some good players as well. You know, I think two weeks ago you were saying you got a Ballon d'Or winner or, like, the next Ronaldo and Arsenal were playing well and everyone was happy. And I, I just feel like, you know, sometimes Arsenal fans, maybe you haven't suffered as much as, you know, team, some other fans. Like, for example, Liverpool fans or Sunderland fans or Newcastle fans. Like, <laughs> you went from Liverpool like, you know, to you, Sunderland. Are, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, think, I mean, you know, you're finishing rather consistently between fourth or fifth. Like, it, it doesn't even get much worse than that. And, like, you know, two weeks ago you were in third and you still, like, were all depressed. And now you're in fifth and you're still all depressed. Like, I mean, I, I just feel like, you know, it was a draw at the end of the day. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. But, again, you, you say these things in, in a vacuum after each game. The fact is that we were sad when we were third because we could see that we were going to be fifth. And now that we now we can see that we're not going to go any higher than that. Like you, when you watch week to week, you see trends, you see patterns, and you see the way things are going. And we can sit here right now and very confidently tell you that it's not going to get better for Unai Emery at Arsenal. He's lost the players. He's lost the fans. He has no tactical acumen. He's made Arsenal worse in 18 months. Yeah. And- Simple as that. He's made the club worse. So you can say, oh, yeah, you're in the top five and, and you're sad about it. Yeah. Because we can see what's going on, and it's it's rubbish. If, if we if 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 I thought that fifth place is, or, or forget the place in the table, it's only nine ten games in that the table moves a lot, and being third last week doesn't mean anything. The point is, if I could see that this is the best we could do, and we're playing amazing, and this is the best we can do because of whatever reason, then fine. The problem is you can see that there is so much room for improvement that you have a manager that doesn't have the ability to bring that improvement out of this squad. And that's what's deflating. And, and Rache, I disagree with what you say completely. If this was just about me opening up the table every week and then basing my emotions on that, then why don't we just fast forward to week 38 and see what the table says? Like, why live through the season and go through it? The whole point is that you're trying to watch your team play. You're trying to see them improve. You're trying to see them provide a product on the field that is enjoyable, that you can see progress. But you know, if it's just about where you are in the table, then it's week 38 and let's just have one week and, and we're done. It doesn't make sense. Like, I just feel that Emery's out of his depth. He flip-flopped a lot between philosophies, which you know, he doesn't have anyways. 
he flip-flopped between formations. He, you know, one thing that we're infinitely worse at is the relationship between some of the manager and our players and even some of our players within the squad. You know, you have the Grand Shaka situation, I'm sure we're going to get into. You have the Ozil situation. You have, like, a Zet liking posts about the manager. Be, you know, it's just, it seems so lost in the background. And the problem is you just want to curb that before it goes any further. And it just every week that they persist with Emery, we can see it's getting worse, not better. So let's 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 dive into the the personnel. So a lot before every single Arsenal game, there's the the Ozil thing, and it's a, it's we're not going to get into that, but it's just interesting to me that a lot of the fans were yelling that Ozil needs to go, that he's not dedicated enough, and then for all Unai's faults, he says that, and then people go, "What the hell's wrong with you?" I I don't think that's particularly consistent, but where he falls apart is this Jaka thing. Jaka is not good enough to be an Arsenal player, as far as I'm concerned, for a club that you want to be. Maybe not. Maybe good enough for the club that you are, but a club that you want to be, no chance. And um, no chance should he be captain. If the players voted for him, which apparently is what happened, then they all need to be thrown, in, thrown into the bin as well because they are asking for an idiot to lead them. And that just shows why your team is how they are. Now, the manager should make that decision but he let the players make that decision, and they did that. That probably tells you a lot about who these players actually are. But the last thing I want to say about Jaka is, as bad as he is, and I said here that I'd rather watch paint dry than watch Jaka play football. Booing Jaka for me—that that's 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 ridiculous. Look, like, look, like you can be a bad player, and that's fine. He never should react that way. He should be stripped of the captaincy absolutely immediately. But my- fans should never behave like that. My view on this is that everybody is wrong. Literally everybody's wrong. Like, no one's right. Like, the fans are wrong to send him abuse online and, 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 and boo him in the stadium and give him all the stick. And, you know, his three years or whatever it is at Arsenal have been an absolute nightmare. You, you know, can you imagine be moving from wherever? Was it, was it Gladbach, I think? Yeah. Um, and he, you know, looking forward to greener pastures and Arsenal. It's a big European club, blah, blah, blah. And it's just been a torrid time. And then the manager is wrong for picking him as captain and playing him every single minute, even though he can see the mistakes are happening, even though he can see that the pressure is mounting on Shaka. He, he must know, you know the amount of abuse he gets and, and all that, and he still insists on him. So he's wrong. Then Shaka's wrong to um, react in that way. And I know he's human, and I know it's difficult, and he just had a baby, and emotions are running high, and you know his wife and his baby are getting all this stuff online, and I get it. I completely get their reaction. His baby's getting stuff online? I know, man. It's even gotten to that. <laughs> the point is that uh, there's also, you have to make it clear that, yes, when his name did come up on the screen, there were some cheers for the substitution, as always happens with Shaka, but it really got toxic when he decided to walk off the field so slowly when we were 2-2 against Crystal Palace at home. And it just escalated from there. Then he did the hand-to-ear he did the, you know, he was in, you know, he was just getting the crowd angry. And, you know, these are football fans, you know, we're not sitting in a, in a, in a work meeting where everyone's cordial. Like, you, were, you will get this kind of stuff. And, unfortunately, I feel like he incited it way more. You know, jog off, deal with it later. But that's not what he decided to do. It's also, it's also, um, he can't be surprised. I, and, again, I think you're right. I don't think anyone comes out of this looking good at all. Um, but he was there in the last season or two of Arsene Wenger so he knows what a toxic atmosphere the Emirates is like he knows what the home fans can can do when they're unhappy um the the whole booing a boo off thing is is famous there's no way that you know people don't know about that um although there's an argument for it I mean Arsenal fans booed a boo off the pitch and then he basically didn't play for Arsenal again so you know if you're really trying to get Jack out of your club maybe this was the right well, well, well that this this it got to this point because the manager who has control hasn't made a decision he hasn't made a decisive decision so then it gets to the point where the fans take it into their own hands you know yeah. it's the same with Wenger towards the end of Wenger's reign the board didn't make a decisive decision and get rid of Wenger, let's say after the 2015 FA Cup or one of the FA Cup wins and go on a high, they let it fester and let it linger and they let the fans take it into their own hands. Banners and booing and, you know, the Stoke, away Stoke um, abuse that Arsene Wenger got and all of that. And, you know, you have to just, you have to get to the point where you go, I'm going to make a decision so it doesn't get any worse than that. But, you know, whoever it is, Emery's a 
board is a coward. And you know what? The fans go, okay, fine. I'm going to let you know how I feel. And in a game or two, one more bad performance, and you're going to hear chants of Emery out loud and clear in the stadium. You hear Mezzarozzo chants right now, and this is indirect to Emery. Soon it's going to be very direct. And what are you waiting for? You're waiting for the whole 60,000 people to chant the manager out? Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, it uh, sounds like, you know, if, if you didn't know where Arsenal was on the table, you think they were in last place, hadn't scored a goal all season, all the bad things. And I just want to quickly point out that, uh, you know, as wise as this discussion is, I want to just quickly point out that on Fantasy, Bahanut had Angus Gunn uh, from Southampton <laughs> as a goalkeeper. And therefore is the worst fantasy player football in history. And uh, yes, you may now resume the discussion. It isn't about Arsenal for Mohamed. It's about Angus Gunn, and he's taking it all out on Arsenal. I, I, th- I think that's the, the summation. Don't, don't, don't say Angus, man. I'm starving. You, you need somewhere <laughs> to take your Angus out. <laughs> uh, on, just on, on, on this as well, I mean, end of the day, Arsenal should have won the game. The VAR messed you up. As, as ba- and, I, and I'm glad that we're not talking about that because we're focusing on the fact that Arsenal were completely terrible. Um, and that is the, the more important story because it's, it's more about form and it's more about, you know, how the club is operating and how it's running. But you should have won the game. Bro, do you reckon the, the little man in the VAR, VAR office was just like, can I let Socrates score two in one game? I, no. Just <laughs> well, no. Can I- can I, can I give you a little a tidbit here on the VAR? Um, so the official was called Jared Gillette or Gillet. Um, here's some stats for you. He's never ref a Premier League game in his life. He has refed nine football league games, two Carabao Cup games. And apparently he was, you know, he's, he's a referee in training for the Premier League and he's in charge of the VAR. So I'm just thinking, you know, are you, are they just trying to make it more and more farcical by the game? Like if, Sometimes you look at things and you go, are we the only one? Like, how can all of us think one thing and the people in charge think something different? And it happens with managers, it happens with players, it happens now with referees. It just doesn't make any sense where we, you know, 90% can see the same thing, but then the people who actually matter don't. Well, let me take you down the path of, of, of far school VAR. Uh, to the point that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came out and said that uh, – in my United's 3-1 win over Norwich, that the first penalty, which I believe we're all in agreement here, was nowhere near a penalty. He said that. He said that was ridiculous. It was no penalty. And that was one of the worst VAR decisions I think I've seen in a very long time because nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. It was completely, it was completely not a penalty. In fact, I was watching the replay and uh, I was getting more and more irked at the second commentator because it kept showing the replay and then the VAR like, vantage point. And the second commentator, his voice kept getting higher. That's definitely not a penalty for him. That's definitely <laughs> not a penalty for him. And then it got called a penalty, and I was like, yeah, ha, take that. Well, what's the point, what's the point of VAR if they're not going to get calls right? Like, we, you could hate the implementation. You can hate the time it takes away from the game. You can hate the fact that fans celebrate, and then, it, you know, they uncelebrate and deflate, and it takes away from the, you know, the stadium atmosphere. You can hate all these things about how VAR is implemented. But the argument can always be like, well, at least we're getting calls right. But if you're not getting calls right, and it has all these negative effects, then it's just doubling the negative effect. It doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, celebrating, I, you know what? I did a 180 turn here, and I would rather get a few calls go against me in a season than have to uncelebrate a goal in the last minute. Welcome, like, Habibi. Well, it's, it's you know, and I, I think I'm starting to agree. I didn't like it before, although I was talking to Tarek earlier and, and he is saying that the actual implementation of VAR in Italy has been very, very good and people have accepted it um, for the good system that it is. And they've actually increased the number of uh, decisions, uh, decision accuracy um, in, in Syria because they do it right. Um, the Premier League needs to take a look at that. But even, even in the context of this, of, of this Daniel James penalty, in the same play, because Tim Krul saved the penalty, he was a yard off his line. And VAR is supposed to take a look at that. So within the space of, you know, five minutes, VAR did not work two times. And then, you know, United got a good goal. Um, obviously, McTominay, Rashford, who missed the penalty, scored a very well-taken goal, very well-taken goal. But then there was another penalty, and that one was right, in my opinion. 
but then Tim Cool is off his line again. So I'm, uh, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> can we can we talk about Louis Van Gaal coming back from the dead and making United look foolish with his? You remember when he put Tim Cruel? He substituted Tim Cruel on for Holland in the World Cup. Just yeah, to <laughs> shoot out. This is why, man. It was it was yeah. It was only what two years in the making or whatever. Yeah. Finally, finally, he's been vindicated. <laughs> you know, like when fans of teams, like opposing teams, agree on something, you know you've done something wrong. That's like, you know, whatever you've implemented has gone so badly wrong. Because we were all sitting there like, this is never a penalty. And usually you'd be biased and, and suggest that it is. But it, it did overshadow what was an actual good performance. And, I, and Alex said to me, well, he said on Twitter, that Martial was going to have a field day, and I was being emotionally protective because I didn't see it, but they absolutely did. Martial, Rashford, and Daniel James as a front three were wonderful. It was well, Norwich, Norwich league goals, right? So. Norwich are bad, but Norwich still put a valiant effort in against Liverpool, even though they lost 4-1, and they beat City, so you kind of thought it's Man United, right? But they were honestly unreal. Martial coming into the game... By the way, his hold-up play is so fantastic. And his link-up play, those little nifty touches in and around the box. That's why Lukaku left, because Lukaku can't even hold up the ball. Like, the goal that Rashford scored came from a ball into the foot of Martial to James, cross it over. The penalty, Martial again. And then, of course, the third goal was beautiful link-up play and then the back heel from Rashford and the little dink. That's what he's there for. <laughs> if they keep this man fit, Oh my God, they could, I mean, they're not going to get in top four, but at least we're going to have some fun. And that's exactly what they did. They had a lot of fun today. So I was just going to quickly point out uh, that Alex is actually a big supporter of Norwich and he has Timu Puki and uh, Buendia both in his fantasy team. Still? Oh, well, both. Impressive. Rishi, what did you think about United's performance in this game? Um, I thought that, uh, you know, to be fair, actually, I think United are playing a good brand of football. Um, they they've been they've been pretty unwatchable at times uh you know over you know the last 20 25 times they've set foot on a field but uh against norwich they were pretty good there was a lot of link up play i thought scott mctominay he's really you know for a young player he's really grown uh into the role uh, and uh you know i i think he has a bright future for him uh and uh you know he he really did well um in the midfield and Is i think that actually young sorry what was that Question for you: Is one Bisaka? Because I'm not watching every. Is one Bisaka uh-huh. as good as Twitter is making him to be? Like really having a good yeah, season. Yeah, Bisaka is uh, is a great player. He, you know, it's it, to the naked eye you can see. Okay, this guy's actually winning the ball in these fifty-fifty challenges, and he's making a lot of tackles here. These, you know, a lot of slight tackles. He wins the ball back, and then it comes out and it emerges that it's an actual stat that Juan Bissaka wins a lot of slide tackles, most slide tackle, slide tackle king, essentially. Let, um, let me, let me it, put it, it this came, way. Sorry, go on. It, go on uh, just before, before Bernie comes in, I just want to quickly say that Juan Bissaka is a great player, and it's a shame that, you know, on one side, on one fullback side, like on the right side, <laughs> we have such a great player. And on the left side, you have this donkey who runs aimlessly <laughs> in circles. And well, you can't have so, but honestly, if you're looking at Ashley Young, like individual player highlights, uh, you know, I, I really hope there's a video of Ashley Young's performance in this game because I was looking at him every possession he had, every time the ball was near him, and there was some. I all I texted Bernie every single time Ashley Young did, did something wrong, and believe me, Bernie's phone blew up. It was a lot of text, and he's absolutely right. Uh, there was one play where Max Ahrens ran around him. Like, imagine running around somebody. Like, like pushing the ball, running around them, and he has nowhere to be seen. He is um, half his age. <laughs> it was so funny, because you could see the moment that Ashley Young's soul was crushed. Like, you could see it in his eyes. Could it was hilarious. Could literally be his dad. Honestly. And we want them to perform if, at the same level. Yeah. On, if his soul was crushed, he's going to come back 10 times stronger, because this is what he does. He's going to live for 150. <laughs> he's never going to die, and he's never going to leave the club. <laughs> on on um on one Basaka, he had eleven tackles in this game, which is the highest in any game for any player. Um, and Hernandez came on to change the game, and he and Van Basaka had a yellow card. He had a yellow card at, at halftime, and this guy could not get anywhere. He couldn't get around him. Aaron Juan Basaka, this is is probably the best tackler in world football today. You I did, just you did see Ona Hernandez 
take out three players and score, right? That was after McTominay made a mistake and Ramsak was nowhere near him. Okay. So you can't you can't do everything. But yeah, but 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 I, I just Alex is probably confused because when he said he did nothing, that's probably what confused Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing against an absolute tank is what I mean. Um, All right. Yeah, you, Brady only United only found goals where someone gets past one Bissaka. Is that? I'd love Top to see that. League, stat. Mate. <laughs> that dri- you know that Van Dyke dribble past that? Like it's actually yeah. a Wan Bissaka dribble past that. Really. All right. Let's uh, since you brought up Van Dyke, let's move on to Liverpool um, beating Tottenham two one. I was literally. I think Liverpool won this game by just my sheer will, like projecting through the television. <laughs> um, I, I I did not. You know I. Tottenham were in a bad run of form, and I was like, you know what? This is not the game that, that turns the ship around. Um, they, they started off really hot, and saw, uh, Son again, just brilliant, brilliant play by him. Unlucky with a deflection onto the post, and then Kane is in a horrendous run of form. He just kind of, you know, it's a good header to, to acclimatize the situation that he's in and, and, and react, but... Uh, you know, I, I don't like Kane very much. Anyways, point is, um, Gazanika kept him in the game for as long as he could. He was fantastic replacing Lloris. I think he, he broke his elbow a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? Uh, yeah. And he was fantastic. I think he broke the, the saves record, I think 11 or 12 or whatever it was um, for the season. He, Gazanika, every time he plays, I think he, there was a patch where he was playing in the cup games last season or this season and he hadn't conceded a goal for Spurs for like multiple games in a row he, he's a really good keeper yeah he, he's not bad he's not bad I, th- this was a funny game um, it, it's sort of similar almost to the to the Champions League final in which Liverpool didn't do that much I mean they had a lot more of the ball in this game but it looked really evident to me that that Pochettino looked at what United did against Liverpool last week where they had uh you know, two fullbacks and two wide players in front of them to try and shut down the, the fullbacks that Liverpool use so much and so well. The only problem was that the two players he had wide to try and do that were Son and Ericsson. And like Ericsson against Robertson is like Max Ahrens against Ashley Young. Like it's a joke. Um, and, and he had to spend all his time trying to track Robertson, which he couldn't really do. And then he had no time on the ball to actually play any football. And, and so I almost thought that like Spurs going ahead was a bit counterproductive for them because then they just sat there and like waited for Liverpool to score. And it was kind of inevitable. And it was a surprise that they held out till halftime. And then it, was, it only took a few minutes after halftime for Liverpool to break through. Gazaniga stood on his head. And, and I think that was, that was a sign of, of, of this game. Liverpool came at them wave after wave after wave of attack. Um, the Tottenham midfield was absent. Now, Sissoko had a good run in the first minute of the game for the goal and then did nothing after that. Um, Serge Aurier is a... You know what? I, I'm I don't even blame Serge Aurier for the penalty. Like, if you see that thing in slow motion for the penalty, he was about to kick the ball and no, nothing's going to happen. Mane was smart enough to get in front of him and he actually admitted that he knew what he was doing in that instance. So, I don't blame him for that, but I blame him for his overall performance because other than, like... Except for that, he was absolutely horrendous. Can, can and, we talk about this penalty for a second, though? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I honestly, I don't understand it. I don't understand. Like, Aurea gets the ball. He turns around. He's about to kick it. Money puts his leg in front of Aurea. Money doesn't have the ball. Money doesn't have a goal-scoring opportunity. And then as Aurea's legs come forward, he hits Money. It, it just... Like, arguably, Mane fouled Aurier because he obstructed him from kicking the ball. It's the I, second I time Mane has done this. I don't understand this at all. He did it at, Mane, at least Mane, Leicester, Mane, I remember. Da, 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 <laughs> Mane, Mane. It's his team, by the way. Um, but yeah, he's done this twice now. So it's, it's, he knows what he's doing. Like, he absolutely knows what he's doing. And I don't know if I enjoy it anymore. Like, it's a dark art that I think he's perfected and better than anyone else in the world, and that's not a good thing. But my question is, why is that a penalty? And, and this is something that I've spoken about a lot over the last year or two when we've seen so many situations in which there is no goal-scoring opportunity, and it leads to a penalty. And a penalty is such a big reward for something. But it's supposed to be a replacement for a goal-scoring opportunity. You had a chance to score, and it got taken away from you. We're seeing so many situations where that isn't the case. And it's just, it's really inexplicable to me. 
I, I agree with you. I, the thing I want, generally, I would say, you know, regardless of this penalty, Spurs deserve to lose. Like, Mo, when, when Mo wishes for you to lose, like, the energy is very, very strong. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's very, very difficult to, to counter that. Um, it's probably why we've been so terrible since Ferguson left. Um, it, you know, just Mo's energy and you know, dark, darkness in his soul. But um, you know what? Spurs are a bad team and they're playing like a bad team right now. And there's nothing. If Manchester United should have beaten Liverpool, then Spurs should, should at least draw. I don't care where it is. They're a better team than Man United. But they don't have the energy. They don't have the passion for it. They don't have dedication. They have Deli Ali being an absolute moron um, on the pitch. They're done. They, they need to figure something out and they need to spend money and revamp this whole team as far as I'm concerned. I actually thought that there were between this game and because we saw like a couple of weeks ago, they were just collapsing right at every, every possible opportunity. They were collapsing, losing three 0 to Brighton, seven to Bayern. I actually thought between the champions league game and this game, there were some, some signs of, of recovery. So I think we'll see in the next like two or three weeks, whether this really is it or whether they, I mean, I think they have, Everton, yeah, I'm looking at it now. They have Everton next. If you can't beat Everton, then then we can stop, you know, saying that it's 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 completely over. Um, there was no La Liga, so we have no Spain to talk about. Uh, we don't yeah, have. There was. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, well, okay. Sorry, I, f- I act like La Liga is only Madrid and Barcelona, but we only have a couple of minutes left, so unfortunately, <laughs> we won't be able. To have do Have you looked at the table though? Oh, uh, what's it? Hatafe or Granada? Which one of them? Granada at top, Barcelona second, Real Sociedad a third, on the same points as Barcelona, Atleti, and Sevilla. I just want to ask Roche to comment because Roche has said long ago that this is a pub league. Please continue, Roche. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's clearly evident that nobody watches this league because it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, what do you want me to say? Like, all I'm going to do is insult this league. But, yeah, like, Real Madrid are a complete shambles. Um, Zidane's about to get fired, like, literally any, every second of the day. He's about to get fired. You know, he's still playing golf. He's playing soccer now. Um, you know, Griezmann at Barcelona. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope Granada wins the league and, uh, and destroys Real Madrid and Barcelona, both. <laughs> For mankind's sake. <laughs> Uh, Syria, uh, Alex was really hoping that uh, Inter could do the business after Juventus drew. Um, I think it was 1-1. I don't remember the scoreline. But uh, Inter yeah. drew 2-2 and uh, threw away the only chance they would ever have to, to win the league. Uh, yeah, yeah, possibly. Juve drew with Lecce, Inter drew with Parma. But the weekend's big winners were Atalanta, who beat Udinese 7-1. Get in, son. <laughs> that's wonderful news uh, especially as my pick for second place in the league Napoli are struggling <laughs> and only one point above Roma which is, should be a sackable offense for Ancelotti in itself Agreed. Oh, uh, I, I just want to quickly uh, have a mention for Cagliari's uh, Raja Nangolan who scored probably the goal of the season last mm-hmm. week um, I think that the you know, like Norad might have picked that up as like a missile. <laughs> no, that was, that and, was no, uh, yeah. I don't know. Do we just like want to comment a little bit on the beauty of that strike, or do we just want to like leave it because I feel like we're doing ourselves a disservice? Well, we we did last week, so. But I mean, it was so good. You have to talk about it. You know, like I mean. Okay, whatever. It's gonna get. It was a great start. It's gonna get its own segment on the podcast. <laughs> Each week and every the, week. The Nangolan agenda. Yeah. Um, <laughs> j- just on a uh, quick Ivan Gazidis watch. Uh, Roma beat AC Milan 2-1. Uh, Ivan Gazidis still doing an absolutely horrendous job in whatever position he is in uh, at that club. Well, he's, was he the one responsible for Emery? Actually, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. We, don't, we are literally out of time, so we'll leave okay. that for another one. Okay. Uh, but yes, he was, in part. Um, (laughs) (laughs) absolute egg-shaped git (laughs) that will do Uh, thank you Roche 
Oh, yeah. Thanks. And uh, everyone, make sure you do your FPL teams for next week. And hopefully I can keep uh, my spot at number one going for as long as I can. Goodbye, Rache. Rache needs <laughs> his own FPL podcast. Mohanid, nice to have you back, man. Thanks, man. See you guys soon. Bernie, ciao. Take care, guys. Bye. for downloading the Koshcast. Get in touch at underthekoshblog at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at under underscore the kosh. And for articles, predictions, and the full experience, go to underthekoshblog.com.